The following is a, a presentation on a single sentence by St. Faustina Kowalska, and I offer it in celebration of uh, the Divine Mercy Sunday that we just celebrated. Uh, has an encouragement to help people enter into the mystery of mercy that, um, that this feast and this, this time that we live in offers us. Before we begin this reflection, though, let's, let's pray uh, using a prayer that Sister Faustina herself wrote in paragraph 1411 of her diary. O Divine Spirit, Spirit of truth and of light, dwell ever in my soul by your divine grace. May your breath dissipate the darkness, and in this light may good deeds be multiplied. O Divine Spirit, Spirit of love and of mercy, you pour balm of trust into my heart. Your grace confirms my soul in good, giving it the invincible power of constancy. O Divine Spirit, Spirit of peace and joy, you invigorate my thirsting heart and pour into it the living fountain of God's love, making it intrepid for battle. O Divine Spirit, my soul's most welcome guest, for my part, I want to remain faithful to you, both in days of joy and in the agony of suffering. I want always, O Spirit of God, to live in your presence. O Divine Spirit, who pervade my whole being and give me to know your divine triune life and lead me into the mystery of your divine being, initiating me into your divine essence, thus united to you. I will live a life without end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The sentence that I would like to comment on uh, is in her fifth notebook, and she she probably wrote this in the fall of 1937. Now, before we get started, it's important to note a couple things about the fall of 1937 in the life of Sister Faustina. It would be at the end of this fall, but, um, but only after she wrote these words, that the signs of, a, of an illness, very serious illness, would be discovered, uh, an illness from which she would not she would not recover. So we're at a kind of critical period in her life. It's important to note also that up until this point of her life, uh, Jesus has been speaking to her and giving her messages about promoting divine mercy, devotion to divine mercy. She has met some successes, but a lot of failures along the way. Uh, her community more or less thinks she's crazy and oversensitive and perhaps uh, uh, psychologically not well. Some of her superiors, they have begun to discern the signs of great holiness in her and they've begun to guess at uh, the greatness of the devotion that Jesus has entrusted to, to her. But they, they also have to test and to see whether or not what Sister Faustina has been entrusted with and who Sister Faustina is uh, is really authentic. 
many of the superiors then have a kind of cautiousness about Sister Faustina, but also an admiration for for her. Uh, They're beginning to discover the treasure of who she is. Finally, Sister Faustina, when she writes these words in 1937, does so in a specific context, uh, historically and culturally, for Poland. A couple months before she wrote these words, there were there was rioting in the streets of Poland. The peasants had risen up, uh, distressed over their poverty, their lack of work, the lack of money, wanting to have a fairer system, and wanting to try to motivate the government, which seemed indifferent to their concerns. They may have been stirred up by communists and socialists who were also involved in the politics of the time there in Poland. Keep in mind also that to the east of Krakow in Russia, uh, the Soviet Union has just implemented, uh, uh, again a couple months before uh, uh, Sister Faustina makes her makes this incredible sentence we're going to talk about, a couple months before, the Soviet Union has signed a decree that will basically de- condemn to death over 110,000 Poles. The, the, um, the order uh, orders the arrest of anyone with a Polish last name, ultimately. Uh, and uh, there's a religious dimension to this because, of course, uh, uh, Poles tend to be Catholic. And um, in the Soviet Union, a secular state uh, had um, an ideal uh, state in mind, an ideal uh, empire in which religion would no longer be needed by the people. And so uh, these Poles, whom they believed might have been involved in uh, spying and espionage, uh, and who were definitely, uh, uh, many of whom definitely had uh, Catholic piety living in their veins, they were perceived as a threat to the Soviet Union. And so uh, this kind of ethnic religious cleansing begins. That starts in August. We don't know how aware Sister Faustina was of, um, of that order, but we do know that uh, by the time she dies uh, in 1938, uh, uh, tens of thousands of Poles uh, are, uh, have been arrested. Many have been sent to death camps, or excuse me, work camps, but they die on the way to the work camps, or once they do get to the work camps, they, they, um, they die because of the hardship there. And many, many more were shot. Uh, again, estimates are anywhere between 85,000 to 110,000. Very, very serious time for Eastern Europe. On the other side of Poland, however, where it borders with Germany, there's also unrest. Uh, German towns uh, uh, in Poland that had once belonged to the state of Germany are clamoring and begging Adolf Hitler to kind of liberate them, allow them, and they're asking the Polish government, um, uh, Hitler's government, and and uh, uh, and the the. Uh, German people in the various cities were asking the Polish government if their cities couldn't be reunited with Germany. Uh, Hitler and the National Socialists, of course, at the time were stirring up all kinds of anti-Semitism. And in addition to that, they were preparing to 
to plunge all of Europe into war. So that is the context, the dark and troubling context for this incredible sentence. Let me read it to you. O humdrum days, filled with darkness, I look upon you with a solemn and festive eye. This sentence to me is so remarkable because uh, I have had many humdrum days and the things that have been going on in the United States have, uh, have definitely been um, uh, overshadowing events. I'm thinking uh, in particular of uh, the uh, number of abortions that have occurred in our country. I'm thinking of the uh, growing tide of uh, mercy killings, so-called mercy killings, that are going on in our hospices and in our uh, senior uh, care facilities. I'm thinking also of the whole redefinition of marriage that is taking place even as I give this presentation. I'm thinking also of the broken notions of love that we have in our country. Love no longer really means a permanent and faithful friendship, but rather it's, it's become something more banal, more mundane. Uh, love means finding someone who gratifies my need for comfort and psychological security uh, and uh, meets my emotional needs. Love no longer means friendship and doing great things together and willing each other's good. Love in our society is absent. The absence of love in a society and the absence of love in a heart, this is exactly what misery is. And right now, the United States of America, the state in which I live, Colorado, it is submerged, plunged deep into a kind of misery, an absence of love that ought to be there. And as we are plunged into this misery, as a people, we are losing our ability to care for one another, to be concerned about each other's plight. Our generosity in being implicated in each other's needs, this is something that is vanishing even before our very eyes. And it is in precisely into this darkness, this humdrum darkness, that Sister Faustinus's message of mercy needs to be heard again today. For if we are suffering from humdrum days filled with darkness, we, like her, need to look upon those days with solemn and festive eyes. Why? Because in darkness and in misery, where there is an absence of love, the deepest truth is not human failures and sin. In that darkness, the deepest truth is God's love. Because mercy is love that suffers the misery of another. And we Christians, we Catholics, we, we have hope. We have the hope that believes that God in His mercy has not abandoned our culture, has not abandoned our communities, our nation, our society, that God has not abandoned our families and those we love, even if they have gone very far from Him, and even if we have forgotten who we are, even if we have so 
lost the love that we ought to know. We are spending ourselves in ways that that suggests that uh, that we're we're with uh, lost people without any hope. God is still with us. He is searching for us, and this is where Sister Faustina's message of mercy comes in. John Paul II used to to try to demonstrate this. He he used the story of the prodigal son, and he reflects on different elements of the story. But one element that has always struck me was that the father. Uh, sees his son coming from a long way off and is pierced to the heart. That sentence in the gospel suggests that whoever this father was, every day after his son left, the father waited for his son, searched for him, yearned for his return. And the fact that this father, when he sees his son, his heart is pierced and he runs to his son, this means that This father is a merciful father because he allowed his heart to be so pierced by the plight of his son that it moved him to action. When we allow our souls to be pierced by the plight of someone else and we are moved to protect their dignity, we have already entered into the the logic, into the story of mercy. We've implicated ourselves in it. We've become part of it. And we see something about the person who is in distress that nobody else can see until their hearts are pierced, pierced by the misery that is before them too. Today, God, his heart is pierced for us. His heart is pierced for America, the plight of America, the plight of our families, the plight of our communities. God is not indifferent to that. He is waiting searching the horizons, the horizons of his love. And he waits for us to come to our senses. And the first movement, when we come to our senses, our first movement away from the, the faraway countries we've, we've gone, those faraway countries where we dissipate ourselves on nothingness, as if we do not have a family, as if we're not loved. When we come to our senses and we realize, I do come from a family, and I come from a providential God uh, who, even with what I've done, in some ways has not given up on me. That little movement of trust. We come to our senses, we start to come home, and God runs to us. And God will run to our families, and God will run to our friends, and God will run to our workplaces, and God will run to our country, because he's waiting for us to come to our senses. He's waiting to show us his merciful love. And he has not abandoned us. He wants to rescue us. He wants to protect our dignity. This is who God is. He is a merciful father. To this end, Sister Faustina, when she has her vision of Jesus, and Jesus says, uh, have an artist paint what you see, the, the image of divine mercy, uh, the picture of Jesus under which the words are ris- written, Jesus, I trust in you. Uh, that image where the rays of um, grace are coming out of Jesus' heart. Did you ever notice that Jesus in that image, his hands are raised and he's coming towards us. He's walking, maybe he's running towards us that we might know the mercy and love of the Father. This is what 
This is exactly what Sister Faustina looked for in the in those days, those humdrum days filled with darkness. She was watching for the way that Jesus comes, that Jesus is always coming to us to reveal the love of the Father. She was watching and ready, ready to respond, ready to have her heart pierced so that Jesus could do something beautiful with her. There's a story that um, illustrates this. The, the story that illustrates this is uh, also in the, um, in the uh, diary. The paragraph I read, read to you about the humdrum days filled with darkness in which Sister Faustina looks upon with Solomon festive eyes, that's in paragraph 1373. Then she tells us a remarkable story that happened in uh, November, just uh, maybe less than a week after she wrote those words. And this is in paragraph 1377. I mentioned to you about the unrest in Poland that had gripped all of Poland in the month of August. And there was still a lot of rash judgment and a, a lot of... Um, a lot of tempers. In fact, during the August riots, uh, strikes and riots, over 5,000 people uh, were injured, uh, arrested and injured, and some even died uh, in the, the street fighting that ensued. So you could just imagine the kind of tension that was running through the city. And on November th uh, 5th, um, Sister Faustina uh, was in the chapel with her mother superior when one of the sisters ran into the chapel and said and complained to the superior that there were five men banging on the gates demanding work. She tried to explain that she told them to leave but they wouldn't leave and they got in an argument and now they're just more angry than they were before banging louder, yelling more belligerently. The superior looked over at Sister Faustina and asked her, Sister Faustina, do you think there is anything you can do? Sister Faustina was a very uh, small lady and, uh, and she uh, did not look particularly strong. But her heart was ready. The, the beauty of the story is the moment she hears the superior's um, Request rather than arguing with the superior that the superior should get somebody more competent, Sister Faustina hears the request and generously responds. That that hearing and generous response, we call that that's in the Catholic uh, parlance in our uh, in our spiritual tradition. That is an exact um, uh, illustration of what obedience is. The obedient heart is the heart that is most ready and most likely to be pierced because it is always ready to welcome God. Mary, when she heard the, um, the greeting of the, of the angel, she welcomed the word with the fullness of our be her being. She heard her cousin uh, uh, was with child and she ran to her cousin Elizabeth. She went right away. And likewise, when God speaks to us through those who are in authority over us, and invites us to do something, if we are listening for His voice, we do not hesitate in our sluggishness, 
but we respond right away, ready to do the will of God. This was Sister Faustina. And because of her obedience, Jesus could pierce her to the heart about the situation that was taking place at the gate. Indeed, as she first started out towards that gate, um, she thought that uh, she might just talk to the men through the gate, through an opening in the gate, because the men uh, seemed very, very angry, and she thought that she probably needed to protect herself. But as she drew closer and closer to the gate, she realized there was a... um, there was a mistake in her plan, in her reasoning, uh, that in fact, if she went forward to do what she thought she would do, her, um, her, she wasn't going to be successful. The men were so upset and so belligerent. If she tried to reason with them and tried to get them to leave, they were likely just to get even angrier than they already were. So she had doubts and she had fears. But her eyes, they were searching with festive solemnity into the darkness that was before her at that gate. And because she was looking to see what Jesus would do, she was not surprised to hear his voice prompt her. And Jesus asked her to do something very, very simple. Jesus said, I want you to talk to them as sweetly as you talk to me. Now, anyone who's read the diary of St. Faustina knows that St. Faustina was very honest with the Lord and very direct with the Lord, but she was also very tender with the Lord. And however tender and direct she was with the Lord, the Lord was even more tender and more direct with her. Being tender and being gentle and being straightforward and saying the truth are not incompatible things. In fact, they go together. And and when they are brought together right, when they are brought together for the glory and honor of God, it frees people to do the right thing. It gives them pause to rethink their course of actions and reconsider their whole attitude. In the case of Sister Faustina, Jesus' words to her changed her attitude. And instead of going to the men out of doubt and fear, she went up to the gate and she opened it wide open. And she very humbly and very directly talked to the men with a gentle voice. Her gentleness and her courage in which she would not let herself be afraid. She would not allow herself to become despondent in a difficult situation. But she acted with love. And she spoke into the humanity of the men who were before her. And when she spoke into that humanity, into their suffering, when she entered into their hearts, just like she entered into the heart of Jesus with her prayers, the men responded in kind. Their voices calmed down. The belligerent language stopped. They began to speak gently back to her. And they soon came to realize that the monastery was very poor, that that in fact there was no work at the monastery, and that the sisters in fact had nothing to pay them even if they did come and do anything. And with this realization, they came 
this mutual realization, this mutual understanding, the men were able to leave in peace. And Sister Faustina was able to go back to the chapel. A very, very tense and difficult situation was diffused. It was diffused because of words of mercy, words that were spoken from one heart to another, words that understood the suffering, the misery of another, and chose to affirm the dignity of, uh, of the people who were before her so that they could act out of their dignity and do what was reasonable, what was right, what was in harmony with the situation, and let go of their, their rash judgments. I think that this little story illustrates wonderfully Sister Faustinus's words, O humdrum days, filled with darkness, I look upon you with a solemn and festive eye. Her vision of reality was one which always were looked for what Jesus was going to do in a situation. She always trusted Jesus. She didn't start out that way, but Jesus very slowly worked with her. And uh, he led her into a lot of suffering while he was working with her. And, and in the midst of that suffering, she, she had to learn to trust him more. I've already mentioned how misunderstood she was by, by her community. She was so misunderstood that after one of her initial interviews to enter into religious life, one of the, the superiors wrote in a note about her, she wrote, she's nobody special. No one understood the beautiful things that God was doing in her heart. But she wasn't concerned about that. If she was misunderstood, misinterpreted, if she wasn't appreciated the way she should be, she learned to trust Jesus and to offer those little tiny hardships up to him and to trust that what he was asking her to do, he would accomplish in and through her the more she trusted him. Because she chose to live a whole life like this, by the time she was 32 years old and walking to that gate, she had already been accustomed to being obedient to the word of the Lord inside her, to welcome that word. So she learned how to live in obedience to her superiors uh, who kind of directed her what to do. But her obedience to Jesus helped her discover how to do it right, how to do it with mercy. And so with Sister Faustina Kowalska, we have a situation where the message and the messenger are commensurate with each other. Sister Faustina was able to present a message of mercy to the world because she lived, in fact, in the mercy of Christ. She knew that Christ knew her misery and suffered her misery with her. And in her misery, in her lack of love, she was, by her trust, able to let him love through her, love in her misery, be present to her. And, um, and because she learned that logic of mercy in her prayer with Jesus, she was able to share that message of mercy with others, including the workers at that gate. Now to our situation. I've mentioned that we live 
in, uh, in dark times, in humdrum days, in days where things like love and, and the gift of life and marriage and the gift of old age are all so misunderstood. In our culture, what we call selfishness love, and we call almost any kind of uh, union between people marriage. We call the slaughter of unborn babies, we call it a right and a freedom. And religious freedom, we call unenlightened and uh, superstitious. And probably worst of all, we, we call murder mercy. Mercy is never murder. Mercy is never getting rid of a burden, solving a problem by getting rid of somebody or getting rid of oneself. Mercy isn't about that kind of despondency or lack of courage. Mercy is quite the opposite. It demands a courage, a courage that can come only from God. Our elderly need us to be with them in the supreme moment of their life when they approach God the Father. They need to be prepared for that moment. We need to help them find the courage to pray in that moment, for it is their finest moment. They need souls who are willing to suffer that moment with them, who are willing to implicate them in that plight as they strain ahead for what lies in store for us. And what that is, we do not know and we cannot see. But we do know this, we shall be like him because we will see him for who he is. And our likeness to God begins now in mercy and our decisions to implicate ourselves in each other's plight, to protect each other's dignity. And that extends from the, uh, from the elderly all the way to the baby, the unborn baby in the womb whose hidden plight is not seen or recognized by many in our culture, whose plight needs someone to give voice and to defend the dignity of the unborn, to implicate themselves in what is facing our little babies in the womb, someone who cares about mothers, somebody who cares about families and marriages, someone who cares about what love really is. Yes, we need to implicate ourselves in each other's plight and we need to find the courage to say the word, to say the right word with truth and love and gentleness, the word that will help somebody re remember who they really are, remember what's really important, remember the purpose of their life, remember how loved they are by God. This is our message and this is our mission uh, for today in the United States of America. Uh, we who are Catholic, need to look into the humdrum dark days that these are, days of confusion. And we need to see what Jesus is doing and welcome it and give voice to it. Because what Jesus can do through us is beautiful and astonishing and wonderful. And he is always at work. And no matter how deep the misery is that we must live through together, no matter how deep the misery, the absence of love is in our culture or in our families or in our communities. God's love is deeper 
and we cannot exhaust his mercy, for his mercy stands forever and ever. Amen.